Have you ever listened to the pod and thought it would be awesome if Jen stopped being nerdy about movies for 60 seconds and talked about your business instead? Well, my friends, you're in luck. Watch with Jen is looking for sponsors. Do you own or run a theater, bookstore, film fest, website, school, physical media firm, pod, streaming channel, or small business that might like to advertise on Watch With Jen? Whether you're interested in sponsoring one episode or several, please reach out. You can get a hold of me at contact at filmintuition.com. Thanks so much. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Today, I'm so pleased to welcome to the podcast one of my crime writer friends, favorite crime writers, and a man whose taste in film, literature, and poetry is an endless source of delight on Twitter. Adrian McKinty was born and raised in Belfast, Northern Ireland, and then studied philosophy at Oxford University before he moved to Australia and New York. He is the author of more than a dozen crime novels, including his Dagger and Edgar-nominated debut, Dead I Well May Be, the critically acclaimed Sean Duffy series, as well as the smash international bestseller and award-winning standalone thriller, The Chain. A man whose books have been translated into over 30 languages, Adrian has won the Edgar Award, the International Thriller Writers Award, the Ned Kelly Award three times, the Anthony Award, the Barry Award, the McCavity Award, and the Theakston Old Peculiar Crime Novel of the Year Award. Adrian, I want to thank you so much for being here. It's always such a joy to talk to you. You crack me up. You're one of my funniest guests, definitely one of my most insightful. So it's a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, it's great to be here. We, we should inform the listeners that I was late because um, I just came from the doctors and I have a wee bit of a cold, so my voice might sound funny. I'm not trying to be sexy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you have that like jazz club thing, like you're in the 40s, film noir. Yeah genuinely ill i'm <laughs> maybe dying um and i make my guests do it anyway no i offered he's like i'm loaded with medicine i've got my tea yeah, I'm good. yeah that's another reason this podcast may be terrible because <laughs> i'm high on four we're five. setting expe- expectations pretty yes. high yeah don't, don't expect me to remember anybody's name <laughs> or what the films are what's going <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, that fucking guy. No, <laughs> maybe just, with the beard. Yeah, and now got that guy. Yeah, uh, dude yeah. with the hair. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I am I'm I'm filled with medicine and a gigantic mug of tea uh, yeah. that I just made. So uh, the tea will be um, the mellower auditor, and all the medicine will okay uh, um, be making me go the other direction. Okay, but we were just yeah. talking on the air about the the cohen's extraordinary first five or six films i mean it's just my goodness yeah out of the gate um what did we say it was we said it was um uh what simple is their debut then raising arizona miller's crossing barton fink like my goodness is madness yes really nailed it all four of those uh yeah 
We both then, agree we're not in love with Hudsucker Proxy, but it's yeah. interesting. And then yeah. after that, you got Fargo, Big Lebowski. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. They, 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 they were killing it for so long. And then I feel, I feel there was maybe a falling off where they tried to do too many remakes and stuff. Like, um, yeah. um, I don't know what they were really thinking. They did some remix and then they did some films that didn't really work. Uh, and then in that late period, I, I guess they weren't gelling together, the two brothers. Yeah. And then final films, and then they've gone their separate ways. Um, unfortunately. Yes. Although there is a rumor yep. that they are coming back um next year to make a film together. So um it should be very cool. Yes. In five years without a Coen Brothers film, without an official. Oh, pretty crazy. Yeah. There's period since what what what's the what's the the date of uh, blood simple 1984 so that's the longest period we've had without a coen brothers film um easily yeah i mean you can count the tragedy of oh no the tragedy of Macbeth was joel only so yes ballad about buster scruggs was the last one in 2018 yeah so well actually if they do make a film next year it'll be six or seven years my goodness yes but a, a Code Brothers film, and, and that's only if they actually do come together. Um, we'll have to wait and see. Um, yeah. what read was Ethan said he had become frustrated with the Hollywood process, mm-hmm. and funny because a couple of Coen Brothers films are about the Hollywood process and how yes. frustrated it is. Like one of the films we're talking about today mm-hmm. uh, um, is about the frustration of the Hollywood process, and then what was that? Uh, then Hail Caesar was the other one. Yeah. Uh, um so um and there's that old line that even when a movie isn't about movie making it's still about movie making so yeah exactly um i don't i i don't know how it could have been less frustrating for ethan though because Mm -hmm. they basically let them do whatever they want yeah they can basically cast whoever they want yes Uh, they uh, it seems they have fairly big budgets Mm -hmm. so um, I don't know what what, what more does. He, uh, I mean, so many what direct- kind of swings did he want to take? Yeah, this <laughs> would kill. Just leave me alone. Let me edit it. Let me cut it. Let me just release my version of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many directors would just would would kill to have that level of freedom. I know. Yeah, they're in a coveted. Uh, they are. Box. They are. I mean, there's not. I, I don't know. There's maybe ten. 15 directors that get final cut all, all the time like mm-hmm. you know Mercedes, tarantino the cohen's uh david lynch uh, but everyone else has to compromise play the game yeah exactly so um i don't know what ethan's problem is um but anyway yeah but that was a segue into what is Ethan's problem. But uh, exactly. You know, we're going to get into everybody's problems today. That's what we're doing. But before we do that, I would love to congratulate you on the, the detective up late. As I'm recording this, it was just listed along with our buddy uh, Sean Cosby's book, All the Sinners Bleed, as one of the best books of um, the year in uh, the Washington Post. So congratulations. Tell me what that's been like. That was very exciting. Uh, me and Sean uh, together at last. Uh, yes. Uh, it's like, you know, I'm obviously John Lennon. He's McCartney. Uh, there you go. <laughs> I, I, I think he would admit that. Um, oh, yeah. 
I'm you probably say he's Kenny Loggins, and then because that's his fave. But yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll I'll take Lennon over Loggins. I know. Uh, Ooh, you might have some fight. No, you know, I'm sure he's a fan. But uh, if you haven't gotten into a Kenny Loggins discussion with Sean, you have to. There's I, some stories I, there. Yeah, I clearly have to to do that. <laughs> that was it. Was really fun to be on that list. Um, uh, sort of came out of the blue. Um, but these year end lists, you just you're, you're always fingers crossed that you'll make them. Uh, yeah. Comes out. But if you actually are trying, it's like, you know, getting long listed or for an award or something. It's such a random thing, you know, mm -hmm. you, you don't know. But when it does happen, it's obviously very cool. Very cool. What was the book tour like? Any excitement? Um, yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun, actually. Um, I did it mostly by um, I I'd done my last book tour, the I think the year before, and I'd done a lot of flights. And um, I'm, I've never been a huge fan of flying. No, me neither. To begin with. Yeah. Um, we don't um, like flying or driving, Adrian. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I'm just not a huge fan of flying. Um, it's not just the actual being on the plane, but but the whole check-in thing and the airport. You have to get there so early. and uh. So this time I did my tour all Amtrak. And Ooh, I took. That's cool. I took the train to Boston and I did some Massachusetts states and then I went south to Philadelphia and so did some dates down there. And uh, so it was, it's so much more civilized. It's slower. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot slower, but that gives you time to read, look out the window and, uh, and all that stuff. And just, just so much more civilized, I think. Yeah, you know who else sold me on uh, train travel was Allison Anders, the filmmaker. She like loves it. She's not a big flyer, and um, so she was telling me, you know, everybody needs to do the trip across country on the train. And she grabbed her Criterion postcards and then sent everyone a postcard from a different spot. So I have one. Like I think a lot of people have them from all over the country from her. So she's like everybody go by train and she likes you know you might get inspired by people you have conversations yeah you do you have a lot of people i've almost done the trip i've done it um from new york to chicago and chicago to denver so i've almost made it all the way across. i just still have to do uh, denver too i think it goes to oakland um oh, okay so i still have just have to do that leg um but i've almost made it all the way across and yeah it, it's fantastic because it's people who um you know are nervous don't like mm -hmm. to fly a lot of people like that on those long trips yeah. and um a lot of people who um driving lessons have been taken away uh, for oh, wow. <laughs> duis or yeah. other reasons so um uh, characters yeah. for future novels yeah exactly so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of and, and a lot of uh, Europeans um okay that are more yeah into the train <laughs> Um, so doing that, um, so yeah, it's it's quite it's quite fun and um, to do the trains, um, and the I, I haven't I haven't ridden an overnight for a while, okay. uh, but I remember the last overnight I did, Amtrak do incredible breakfasts, like oh. they do really fantastic. I am a breakfast person. Like I'll have breakfast for dinner. I'm, so you're selling me. Yeah. I'm a breakfast person too. They do fantastic French toast. At least on the oh train. I was, they had a French toast master. Mm -hmm. and I thought, 
wow. And as I was sitting in the in the car with all the other people having breakfast, I was going, "Are you guys digging on this French toast? It's incredible." <laughs> It was fantastic. It was like a, an inch thick French, mm-hmm. top, but just so soft and, and 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 incredible. And that's, I guess, that's one of the big things as well about those Hitchcock films. Um, yeah, so, North by Northwest. All yeah. And they're uh, well. He meets Eve Marie Saint at. Does he meet her at breakfast? No, he meets her at dinner. Um, in yeah, North- yeah. Because there's that line about you know. Um, they changed it to a never talk about, you know, making love on an empty stomach or something like that. And it was changed. But yeah, yeah. It's so funny because um, they say that North by Northwest is a, a kind of ripoff or Hitchcock's own remake of the 39 Steps. And uh, really? oh. and there's, there's a lot of... He beats. was kind of playing with his old, yeah, plot lines a lot. A lot of beats that are very similar. Um, yeah. Guy on the run, gets on a train, meets a girl. Um, yeah. But in 39 Steps, it's it's hilarious because yes, with the handcuff and the yeah. But it but when he goes to, goes to her and says, "I'm on the run from the police. Can you help me?" And the trope nowadays where she would say yes, and in 39 Steps she goes, "No, I'm not, I'm <laughs> yes. not, I don't know who the hell you are or what you've done." Exactly. People immediately just like, oh, okay, yes. <laughs> in a modern movie, that would be a meat cute, you know? Yeah, yeah. Where, um, like, oh, you just shot somebody. Like, you know, I'm gonna bring you home for Thanksgiving dinner now. Yeah, yeah. and 39 steps, she's going, Are you kidding? <laughs> Please help. Yes, I think is so funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, it is a meet cute because then they do get together, they end up, yeah, handcuffed. Exactly. Yeah, uh, it's that's Hitchcock. Yes, wonderful. Yeah. Form. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. Not at all, but I think, you know, it kind of works for our first uh, plot a little bit because you you could sort of see Barton Fink riding the rails and like talking to people about fish on his way from New York as a playwright to Hollywood, uh, where he's kind of the Clifford Odets um, type writer who has been brought out there to write for a thousand dollars a week. So lured, seduced by big, bad Hollywood and uh, stays in a hotel and it kind of reminds me of something another friend, uh, Megan Abbott, uh, mm-hmm. loves to put on her posts, uh, like when she's on a book tour, which is like every hotel is a haunted hotel. She yeah. takes all these creepy photos. And uh, so, you know, he's in a hotel that might as well be hell. So talk to me about Bart- Barton Fink. Well, um, I've got so much to say about Barton Fink, um, but I'll try. Oh, right. Um and I've got more to say about Barton Fink than I do about... Um, Me too. Um, this, yes, I, much more. I watched, I watched both on Sunday. And um, Barton Fink, uh, it's still is very strong for me. Um, yeah. um, I'm kind of ho-hum on Lewin Davis. So, yeah. yeah, this might just become a Barton Fink podcast. You know, I'm just yeah, kidding. Yeah. So, <laughs> but the reason we wanted to do both because... Creativity. Artists who are blocked. Uh, mm-hmm lives and they can't move on and for 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 barton fink it's great because the meta um story behind it is that the the cones are writing miller's crossing they have massive yes. um they, they're on a deadline to finish miller's crossing because everything is rolling the studios have given them money they're starting mm-hmm. to catch the script and instead of finishing the script they they go off and write this other movie about um, a, a guy who's working for Hollywood who has writer's block. 
Because uh, they went to see Baby Boom. I love that part of right. it so much. Yeah, they were just like, let's get out of our heads and go to Baby Boom. And then like, what is that? And then they start writing this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Diane Keaton. Yeah. Maybe Amazing. Not yes. Not her finest hour, Baby Boom. No, but I enjoy it. It's one of my favorite sick day movies, she really. Doesn't, she doesn't need a finest hour. Um, no, she's always father, watching. Sam Shepard. Uh, yeah, Spader, Harold Ramis. I mean, you know, what more do you want? You could have quit acting in 1980 and still been like, yes, icon. Like, yeah, right after Reds and all of those. Yeah. Come on, yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, she's she nailed it. Yeah, uh, just hosted for the next 30 years yes. and done, and her place in history would have been secured. But um, yes, exactly. So that so they 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 write Barton Fink about a writer who is. Um, writer's block and as you say the story is um barton is a playwright socialist realist clifford odets yes uh, oh, man. <laughs> and, um i don't want these high ideas i want ordinary stories and yeah. so um, he gets co-opted by hollywood and he takes the train out to los angeles and you're right they put him in this really um nasty i think scary oh, yeah um um it's it's like a big old hotel yeah the hotel is actually older than the city of los angeles by that state <laughs> it seems like it's home. always been there it's very Almost. the shining yes exactly it's a creepy hotel on the bell hop is um uh, steve, yep, steve buscemi um which is fantastic you're just going oh it's all the old colin crew yes. coming you know, because you got John Turturro as Barton Fink, and you have Steve Buscemi, and then John Goodman. Is yeah, gonna, I'm so excited for, for 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 John Goodman in one of his greatest roles in the. Oh in, my goodness! Yes, amazing. But anyway, the, he goes to work for the studio. Uh, oh, Tony Shalhoub is the director. Um, yeah, is, uh, and John Polito uh, yeah. is in it as well. I mean, you have like yeah, all these people with all these um, common regulars. Um, but he goes to work for the studio and the studio says, the studio boss says, take your time, write whatever you want. <laughs> and then he says, okay, I will. And he says, but we'd really like you to write a wrestling picture. Yes. <laughs> we'd like it in like a week. And he goes, what? And, <laughs> Which is what Faulkner did. Like his first thing was a movie with Wallace Beery. Yes. And John Mahoney is playing a Faulkner type. Yeah. Obviously, it's based on experiences of Faulkner and F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah. Out to Hollywood and and went and lived. They both of them lived in one of those little cabins they had yeah. on um, studio lots, and they both Scott Fitzgerald and Faulkner spent apparently most of the day drinking. Yeah. Uh, uh, Start <laughs> because they 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 couldn't just be happy with the money. No. Maybe go to the beach uh, and uh, instead. No. They were filled with self-loathing. I don't think I would go that route. I think <laughs> you're gonna, like, uh, you know what? I'm gonna take the money. I'll write the wrestling picture. Yeah. I think if they said, "We'll come out," and I guess the equivalent today would be ten thousand dollars a week. We'll come out there. We'll put you up in a nice hotel on Olympic Boulevard. Yeah. Uh, and we'll we'll ask you to come into the writers' room. I I think I would live it up. Oh and yeah, totally. I, I'd have brunch toast all the time. Yeah. Yes. I don't think I'd be filled with self. No. Just going, Adrian, <laughs> why have you sold out your art? <laughs> probably 
Scott Fitzgerald and William Faulkner. Lighten up, guys. No, I'm just kidding. But they had these massive, uh, they were massive alcoholics and had some some personal and issues. Yes. Personal issues. And they they hated the decisions that they had made. But yeah. They don't seem terrible decisions because um, Hollywood is giving them the money and it's a new art form. And why not just go out there and, and yeah. dig? Um, both of them did not enjoy the experience. Although Faulkner has a credit on, um, oh God, what's his credit? He's a credit on. Oh, he wrote some stuff. Yeah, he's a credit on, is it um, The Big Sleep or um, Strangers in a Train or something, something really good. Um, yeah. Ah, the big sleep uh, to Faulkner's have and IMDb have credit. not, which is hilarious because that's an Ernest oh Hemingway. God. Yeah. So he, he so he's got he's got he's got great Chandler and Ernest Hemingway, which you gotta love that. He's not. He's nothing to be. He shouldn't be. He shouldn't be so filled with. Sneeze out. Those his books are great and they're doing well. Yeah. And his. We're going back making- in time. We're giving him a pep talk. He is basically, and so is Fitzgerald, the guy in Inside Lewin Davis who's making these terrible decisions and kind of going around and around in his own thing before yeah. he ever took off. But they've taken off. Like, come on, you guys. You guys are killing it. We, yeah. we want to go back in time and say, you guys are killing it. And um, S- Scott. <laughs> Get with the program, man. Yeah. You're going to read your books in high school for the next hundred years. Yeah. Chill. And William, you're going to win the Nobel Prize. Just guys, lighten up and, and <laughs> live for the moment. Uh, yeah. It's all fine. Um, yes. But Martin Fink is very much not um, like us. He's like them. Yeah. He, what have I done? I've come out here to this land of barbarians. Um, they want me to write a wrestling picture. I don't know anything about it. Um, so he's really freaked out and sad and lonely. Mm-hmm. Very isolated. I mean, there's that isolate. I mean, being a writer, you are isolated. You're a person in rooms, and but he there's no law saying he has to sit in this one room to write. He could go outside and like set up, you know, or go in one of those bungalows on the studio lots or anything. But, some of, uh, no, beautifully because they put him in this big. Um, creepy room, and then they do close-ups of the typewriter keys. Yes, and then you just see the the anxiety. He can't write anything. He can't write one. He can't write a single word. He's Except just like what he's already written about the fishmongers. Yes, yes. he's absolutely frozen, and um, he doesn't know what to do. And then he hears his neighbor next door. Mm-hmm. His neighbor's howling. I don't. I, I, <clears throat> crying. Yeah, there's otherworldly moaning, guttural noises. It's kind of the whole place is falling apart. He is sort of a representation of the hotel, which like whenever he's in the room or is just left, the wallpapers are coming down. And John Goodman has this like ongoing ear infection with pus. And, you know, it's gross. Yes. John Goodman is like, we're never sure. And I don't know the answer to this. um, If he's human or not. Uh, exactly is he the devil like is he what is going on yeah is it like the shining hotel and he's a manifestation of the hotel yeah. okay. or is he some sort of demon maybe or yeah you wonder just a um as we learn later perhaps he's a crazy person yeah uh, also a traveling salesman serial killer <laughs> yep but, exactly but anyway so john goodman is how th- that first eerie moment when we don't know what's happening next door. Yeah, yeah. 
he's making terrible noises, which are quite off-putting and scary. Yeah. And as you or I would do, um, or actually, we probably wouldn't do it because um, the noises are you so... You don't want to, yeah, no. <laughs> like, I, I don't leave. <laughs> yeah. Noise comes around. I yeah, don't want to... Yeah. Um, so he phones down to the, he phones down to chat, um, at the front desk to complain, Steve to see me about the noise. And, um, and then we hear the phone go next door. Again, it's a beautifully shot scene and it's it's tons of tension. And we immediately know he made the wrong decision. (laughs) Not have called up. And then we hear the person go, what? What? They're complaining about me. And then he comes around and it's. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> who in fact couldn't be more charming i know uh, which you know he's kind of like he calls himself a lumbering you know clumsy oaf and all of that but yeah he's so like and he couldn't be nicer and he actually tells uh the tutorial character here i'm the one patronizing you or condescend when it's the other way around and yes. i tutorial is always talking over him and philosophizing yes. and yeah that first conversation is so brilliantly written yeah they're talking across one another and um we see both of their characters revealed really really well incredibly it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant and we see um and john um john goodman is really impressed by john turturro by barton fink as a writer he's just oh my god i'm so excited and um but as soon as he gets that first little nugget of praise, mm-hmm. um, then that's when John Turturro or Barton Fink, he starts to be that little bit condescending. And he goes, yes, yes, I am a writer and I'm writing just about people like you. Uh, <laughs> the, the common man. Yeah. Yeah. And he starts to be a dick. I know. Uh, yeah. And uh, instead of being relieved that this, monster dude next door isn't gonna gonna beat him to a pulp yeah Uh, instead he starts being a dick to him Mm -hmm. and just yeah you would love my theater i'm writing it exactly for me and then um there's that fantastic moment where he says to um you know um john goodman and he says um yes i want the theater of to be about the common on people like you and then john goodman says well i could tell you some stories yes and then we are let him talk. But John Turturro just plows on him with the conversation. Mm-hmm. And uh, he cuts him off. He doesn't want to hear his stories. And um, later on, when everything has gone to hell, um, well, you know, we'll get to it. But I just I want to, to highlight this. Um, when everything has gone to hell and um, Barton Fink says to, to, to as, as we know him, as Madman Munt, and he says, well, why have you done all this? And then Madman Munt, John Goodman says, because you don't listen. Yes, it's perfect. And and also that's the crime of the writer. Mm-hmm. It's the crime of the man, but it's the crime of the writer because a writer has to listen. To um, listen to the stuff that's happening on the street. He has to listen to dialogue and Barton doesn't listen he's caught up in this abstract world that he's writing about and wants to write about fishmongers and and his theater is just as bullshit as yeah 
completely as phony as the theater he's criticizing, you know, the 19th, I guess he's talking about 19th century English models. Yeah. Uh, George Bernard Shaw, people like that. But his theater is just as fake mm-hmm. because he's not listening. He doesn't want to listen. And um, here was John Goodman willing to tell him stories and willing to open up to him and willing to be a brother. And he rejected all of that because Barton in his own way is actually extremely arrogant. And, um, and yeah. And there's another layer there because like you said, is he a figment of his imagination? Is he just a character that he has invented as he's writing them? And there's that line about, well, you can leave. Like, this is my home. I'm stuck here, which is he could yeah. be stuck in his mind. Like he's just a character that can't get out of him um, essentially. And he won't listen or do anything. He has no agency. Like he's plowing right over him. Yeah. Hey. Exactly. I mean, there's, yeah. there's so many layers, and the it, it, Barton Fink is almost like The Shining. You can watch yeah, several different ways. Yes. Again, with so many different levels and interpretations, or somebody said, "Hey, have you noticed this about the about the lobby?" And you go, "Oh my god, I never have." And yeah, like the elevator always going down and all that stuff. Yeah. Jet always coming up from the yes. From so something's going on underneath, and yeah. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so we, that first meeting with Goodman, incredible. Uh, yes. And then he goes into the studio. He still can't write. He hasn't written a thing. And Tony Shalhoub now is the director. is in a real panic. And Tony Shalhoub is, is doing this accent. Yes. <laughs> I love Tony Shalhoub. He's always, yeah, he, he finds his character and he just kind of hones in on it. Yep. And, he's, and, and his way of talking is so funny. He's, got, he's going, mosquito. There's no mosquito in Los Angeles. This is weird. That's mosquitoes. They live in the swamp. This is Los Angeles. This is the desert. And yes. it's just, Which is kind of funny because I heard a, an anecdote that Cohen said about uh, the ASPCA got a copy of the script. She's like, mm-hmm. I don't know how they got a copy of it, but you know, the idea of beheadings and what happens to Judy, nothing else bothered them. They were like, this mosquito, how are you guys going to handle that? And they yeah. were like literally worried about the mosquito. Yeah. What, how are you going to do that? Yeah. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't do anything. They just did the slap and we see the... Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, Tony Shalhoub's in a panic and he says, all right, you've got to talk to another writer. You've got to watch some movies. And then he finds William Faulkner. What's the name of the character in the in the, the film he's called? Mayhew. He's called Mayhew. Uh, yeah, John Mahoney. Hey, Mayhew, Pete, whatever it is. But yeah. obviously it's because um, he's a Southern accent. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he's written all. The, the one aspect of it that I was interested in, especially too, I mean, there's a couple things there. He's getting sick in the toilet, like he, he's a drunk and that kind of thing. And also there's that idea of, you know, vomiting on the page. Essentially, writers say like when they write a draft or the people that can just do that. And uh, the Coens have talked about this as kind of like a belch uh, when they were in the middle of Miller's Crossing, that kind of thing. So there's sort of this, um, yeah. gross bodily function thing happening through the movie but also judy davis who's incredible is his uh long-suffering lover slash assistant slash typist slash we learn person who has been you know writing uh some of these scripts in the last few books but it was mostly editorial that kind of thing it reminded me of rumors that i remember hearing way back in the day about was it nabokov's wife or you know you hear all these rumors about people and so it's just fascinating yeah 
Judy Davis, by the way, it's just, it's, it's, it's redundant to say Judy Davis is amazing because she is. Yes. Since the beginning. Yeah. Nails it. I know. Like my brilliant career. My God. Yeah. Nails it. Tiniest little parts. I know. Husbands and and wives. Wow. uh, Yeah. Especially when you're a kid and you're just watching and she's like, who's that? (laughs) Yeah. It was incredible. Where'd she come from? It was always amazing, but anyway, yeah, she's fantastic in this, and so uh, good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like fragile and vulnerable and sexy and smart and yeah, all this weird stuff. And you're absolutely right about the. It, it's so funny that trope um, about yeah. the, the the personal assistant, the secretary, yeah. um, <laughs> having to do most Rip of the girl or the writer. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't want to libel people in the. Um, <laughs> fiction community but there's a couple of very well-known stories um of mm-hmm. um people who um how can i say this um there's the stories about people who made their their name in other fields and then they go to write a crime novel and it turns out that it's their significant other who has actually done yes and there's a couple people that are you know their names are on the book and we won't get into that but yes exactly <laughs> And, and and there is uh, there's some quite well known writers who yes exactly have nothing to do with yes. the book in any level. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, there's a um. It, uh, this is a complete aside. Um, <laughs> this from the podcast, but there's a um. Oh, there's a Bing Crosby film, um, and I've forgotten the name of it. But um, Bing Crosby is a songwriter. And he's hired to do uh, the melodies. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's this older songwriter um, who can only oh my write. Gosh, I remember that movie. Yes. Yeah. And there's an older songwriter who can only write the lyrics. And he says, Can you just come along and help me with yes. the melody? And then Bing Crosby meets the lyricist, uh-huh. a young woman who is really. So the older songwriter guy is doing nothing at all. Yeah. Two people who don't exactly. know one of them's doing the melody and one of them's writing the lyrics. And um yes, I, ha- I saw that. Did you see also Kieślowski's uh blue? Yes, with Julia Pinoche, where we find out she's really the composer, which is fascinating. Really yeah. I had I had that experience on a ghostwriting job once. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I had been given an outline um, that I had to do some writing on. And and then years after the book came out, I met another writer who had done the outline. Uh, <laughs> so the person that had, uh, whose name was on the book, they had I, yeah. <laughs> done nothing. Yeah. Uh, they hadn't done the outline. They hadn't done the, the writing. And I'm sure they hired someone else to do the, um, the, the editing and on all that. Oh, work. man. Yeah. The punch oh. up. I know. Um, then you want to be like Dustin Hoffman and Wag the Dog. You're like, I want the credit. Yeah, bad. Exactly. <laughs> I can't remember. How, I think that Bing Crosby film ended with a happy ending. I'm pretty sure they got together. I think and, so. Yeah. So I, think I saw that, it forever ago because yeah, my I had a relative who loved Bing Crosby and had all those <laughs> movies. Yeah. But anyway, Judy Davis is really writing this screenplay. Yes, I know. Which is such an interesting character. Yeah. Because um, in the in Barton Fink, the William Faulkner uh, avatar is just way too drunk. Yes, 
really is he, he starts drinking from his flask at lunchtime yeah yeah uh, so he's he's too wrecked to do anything mm-hmm. um so uh barton fink is appalled by this and aghast but then he starts falling for judy davis and is very protective of her because yeah. she's um his self-loathing um mayhew's self-loathing uh, extends to uh, uh, violence against her does he, he does swats he... her yeah there's a swat in the woods that um yeah right so Bart Fink obviously is 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 appalled by this and you know he's just he he's re- he's really in a, in a bad place because yeah. great hero is 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 a complete drunk who is yeah. also appalled, um and yeah. and a domestic violence guy yeah yeah and meanwhile, he's in Los Angeles um, trying to write this wrestling movie. He doesn't know anything about how to do it. And um, he's just, and, he's, and we get all these scenes of him staring at the typewriter, unable to write anything. And his only yeah. friend, apart from Judy Davis, um, his only friend is the guy next door. Um, who yeah. Keeps- coming over yes i know it would be a sitcom essentially it's, it's like a buddy comedy but you know the, Co- the coens put everything in a blender yeah and i love that too you're pointing out how inauthentic it is like he can't write and all this stuff but what's funny is his like authentic self or what he thinks it is because he's so pompous you know like oh the fishmonger is so authentic well that's completely bullshit too like it's very inauthentic and so he was kind of in this situation a little bit in new york but it's just an environment that he knew or wasn't i mean we weren't really hanging around this character back there too um i mean it's really interesting it's also very confusing to us and it's good that we're confused yeah, yeah. because we don't actually know if he's a good writer or not exactly no clue um because the the little fragment of the play that we see um at the beginning yeah. seems cheesy. Uh, Very cheesy yes <laughs> super cheesy to us mm-hmm. uh, so we don't know if he's if he's a um if he's any good at all yeah yeah, because you're so insulated when you're in a scene, you don't like have any context for was it a good movie? Was it a good play? Was it a good book? Yeah, and, then, and, and the whole movie is about the writing of the screenplay. Yes, and they, they don't let us read the screenplay, mm-hmm. they let us read the opening page or half page, and then when <laughs> um, he gives it to the studio, there's a lot of water out of the bridge until this point, but. Um, that we have to go into, but when he gives the, the to the studio, everyone hates it. Yes, everyone hates it. I know. The director hates it. Um, uh, the head of the studio hates it. Uh, uh, Polito, who's the real head of the studio, is the yeah. real, the, the secret, the guy who's actually running everything. Mm-hmm. They all hate it. Uh, <laughs> so fantastic because. It's an absolute bomb. It's an it's an artistic failure. Yeah. Uh, um, we've 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 had this whole thing about which is so so great. I love this mm-hmm. because um, Oscar Wilde said this thing and he said, "Bad art is just as sincere as good art." I mean, that's he, true. He, he really thought he had done something here, Barton Fink. I know. Yes, he thought this was his masterpiece, and you know, he wanted to go out dancing, and yeah. He's on the phone to his agent and he says 
this is the greatest thing I've ever done. It's fantastic. I'm yeah. so organization is going, really? You're <laughs> wrestling picture for Wallace Beery? Are you sure? And he says, because yes, it's fantastic. It's brilliant. This will change the world. And his agent's going like, calm down. Like maybe like just take a, take a, few, a breath. Yeah. A tea, you know, just because his agent knows this cannot be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then everyone that sees the screenplay also is horrified. But, but we don't know. Maybe maybe it is maybe it's a, maybe it's a wrestling picture masterpiece yeah it's kind of a macguffin it's like the thing that he needs to achieve but but that it's about like the whole movie is about the screenplay or him doing it but we don't actually yeah they don't yeah. put a quality on it which i think is really important because i think yeah. a lot of um people want to you know uh, filmmakers and stuff want to tell you what to think like well this was a good thing that he did or something yeah it's like well usually in those films about um whenever they do a, a movie about a writer and uh, they're usually pretty bad yeah but it's always about the writing of uh, a specific but and i don't know how you would film that because it's just somebody like at a keyboard or walking yes. in the woods or yeah. having yeah or something oh my god Uh, it's like you know we sit in our pajamas and we write it's not that uh, yeah not that cinematic people yeah whenever they do those films it's always for a project which is good it's like (laughs) or something i know not the stuff you do to actually get paid and whatever yeah not something which is this B picture wrestling film that was supposed to run on a Wednesday night behind yeah, the yeah film. Um, so it's supposed to be terrible. And, um, and, 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 and Barton's is so bad that they can't even make it at all. It's no. like, it's, it's like even a, even a B picture wrestling film for Wallace Beery, it's so terrible. It's unfilmable. Uh, I know. And then he kind of like enters, I mean, you can get a little Kafka-esque here, but he like enters another prison, essentially, or another hotel, uh, because it's like, we're going to keep you under contract and you're going to keep writing for us, but we're just never going to make your stuff. And, you know, that actually does happen. They can keep people under contract, like uh, an actor's show can get canceled, but you're still under contract with the network and like, well, we're just not going to put you in anything this season. Yeah. Craziest story about Blazing Saddles. And uh, do you know that story? No. Um, the TV show? No. So um, they, they, Blazing Saddles, um, it's a huge hit. Yeah. Uh, there's a clause in the contract that if it's a huge hit, the production company has a um, an option to make a TV series out of it. Um, but um, it, they, Mel Brooks obviously does not want them to do it. Um, because he thinks it's going to just be terrible, terrible ripoff. And um, so he opposes it with every fiber of his being. And they, um, they start going into production of this TV series, which never airs. And they make, I don't know, like 16 episodes, which never airs. And then they realize that as soon as the production on the TV show stops, the option goes back to Mel Brooks. So then they said, all right, let's make another season. So then they make another season. Oh my goodness. What a waste of money. Jeez. Which they know will never air because it's so terrible. And then Mel, uh, Mel Brooks does this lawsuit. um, And he says, look, 
it's not even funny. It's they're just they're doing these things, which is it's a completely fake TV show. Mm-hmm. And so they have to hire writers to make it not so bad that they would lose the lawsuit, but not so good that it would ever get on television. Uh, <laughs> somewhere in a vault, there's like 40 episodes of this fake. That's amazing. Wow. And like people worked on it and they they shot it and it never aired and it's in a in a in a in a, in a vault somewhere. And that's basically poor Barton's fate is that he's under contract. Uh, yeah. everything he writes will be owned by the studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're never going to produce it. And then he says, um, the, studio, the studio head says, not until you grow up a little. Um, yeah. Which I think means that um, until Barton starts playing the game. Playing their game. Yeah. Right. Um, which he should. Yeah. I mean, that's why they brought him out and put him under a contract. Yep. You know, it's funny. When I first saw the film, I had so much sympathy for Barton Fink as a writer. I just thought, oh, my God, this poor guy. Imagine if you were in that position. Yeah, so- yeah. But, and then and, you're an adult and you're like, you're getting paid for this? Yeah, yeah come on. Things <laughs> I've thought, oh, dude, um, you should be doing that dancing thing every night. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I love that it's going on while at the same time, like Pearl Harbor is happening. Like much more important things in the scheme of things are happening, but he's so myopic. Like he's just thinking of this one thing. Yeah. And we should talk about, we should talk about John Goodman. Um, yes. So, um, Barton doesn't listen to no. um, John Goodman's stories, to Munt stories, mm-hmm. and then um, then um, John Goodman says, "Look, I have to leave. I'm a traveling salesman, so I have to go out of town." And this is Barton's only friend, so he's yeah, probably- he's like dejected. Well, there's kind of a romantic or an under. There's a little bit of a homoerotic component, like they even like wrestle, and then. Uh, John Goodman uses the phrase about being well endowed, which I find, you know, an interesting turn of phrase there. And the Cohen's joke that that's their sex scene in their career, which is hilarious. But but yeah, so he has to go on the road and Barton's going to miss his friend, gives him his parents info, which is amazing. Yes. And um, Barton's so sad because his his only friend in Los Angeles is leaving town and you're is very funny because he says I can teach you some wrestling moves, and then when the cops show up later, and he says, he "says What was the relationship between you guys? Yes. No relationship." Yeah. A bit. And the cop just goes, "Just you're a sick fuck." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're a sick fuck, Fink, which I think is such great. Yeah. Like it's it's almost worth the the line. Uh, like that's the name. Like you wonder what came first, that line or the name? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, it's it's so good. And um, so he goes off, and then the cops show up, and it turns out that John Goodman is a. I guess there's a lot of um, role. There's a. I guess there's a lot of um, uh, models for this in real life. I mean, if yes, you, traveling you, salesman. Yep. In the 30s, 40s, and 50s, there actually are a surprising number of traveling salesmen, serial killers yes. in American history. Uh, bananas, but yeah. Bananas, but there actually were. Yeah. Uh, Be careful who you have French toast with on the train, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> precursors for this. Um, and and he is one of them. And he's mm-hmm. a serial killer. And then when the cops come and they handcuff um, Barton Fink, 
and then John Goodman appears back. And and this is when the movie takes. I I I know. Would you say that's a controversial turn, or um, a very surrealistic turn? Oh, into I don't know what you would call it. Would you go into magical realism? Would you go into surrealism? I'd or- say surrealism, but um, but you know, is it also an allegory? Like, what is it? Yeah. What is happening is again. Yes. Some people say is the second half of the movie comes just completely a figment of you know his imagination. Well, we don't know. Is he had a well, break? Yeah, has had a mental breakdown. Um, but also we have had. I feel that we've had clues along the way for this to be happening in the real universe because of the peeling because of the sort of the inferno nature of the hotel yeah uh, yeah for sure the hotel he's is, always um uh munt is the one who's sweating all the time so profusely and yeah it's always talking about the heat and there's old so the number of interpretations could work. Um, I remember the first time I saw it, I loved it. Um, just, I was could not, was not expecting this. And that scene where John Goodman is, is so, so scary. Um, the I'm last coming down the hall. Yes. Well, the, 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 I mean, if you haven't seen this film, the price of admission is that one. Yes. Scene. Him shouting, you know, I will show you the life of the mind. Yes. He's running down the hall. And it kind of reminded me of like, I actually queued up uh, raising Arizona and, you know, he comes out of the ground in prison when, it, when there's a rainstorm. And so it's like, you know, it's windy, it's rainy, there's earth. And then here there's fire. So they have John Goodman kind of screaming out of the elements of an environment is like the Coens. He's the guy for that. Yeah. <laughs> You to find someone more scary in a film. Yes, I John, know. more charming or more scary. Yes, you can play both sides. Yes, John Goodman running at you with a sawn-off shotgun, um, uh, while yeah, um, is on fire, and and the, the cops are frozen in fear, and you can see why. Like yeah. they both, they both are armed, but um, yeah. terrified because yes. this this <laughs> from their nightmares is running at yeah. them. Um, with the sonar shotgun, and, and 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 I think you're absolutely right. The, the thing that he says, um, when when Barton says to him, "Why did you do all this?" He says, "Because you don't listen." And then John Gooden, Barton is saying, "I, I want to give you the life of the mind. This is what I want to do in my." And then John Goodman is going, "I'll give you the life of the mind," yeah, Again, because Barton hasn't listened. No, he, he's he's too caught up in his abstract version of the way he thinks play should be the way he thinks screenplay yeah. and he's got this you know if, if it's actually all really happening he's got this incredibly interesting character <laughs> he's gonna go back to the fish though you just know and you, you, exactly his next one is going to be yeah. the fish well and along the way something happens to judy davis um, oh my god we don't know what. Um, yeah. Well, I think the only two possibilities are that Barton killed her or Which John. Which is kind of a, a thing you wonder um, in the middle of the movie. You're like, you know, it, is he the killer or is it is it Mont? Yeah. What do you think? <clears throat> What's your. Oh, boy. I, I don't know. It's either. You know, it. it's kind of one of those things like I think they said it came from. Um, 
the deadline at dawn, the idea of you wake up next to a corpse or something, you know, it's an old film noir trick. And, um, you know, yeah, I think today we would immediately say, well, it's Barton. And we were, you know, we watched too many movies in the 90s, you and I, Adrian. So, of course, it would be Barton at the end. But it's hard to know. Yeah. Yeah, Angel Heart would be the one where he's done everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's also, I remember the, also in the 90s, or maybe it was the 80s, isn't there a Jane Fonda movie where she wakes up? The yes, next- The Morning What's After. That? Yeah. So that, I guess those are the two models for one is completely innocent. Jane Fonda didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess we should say spoiler alert before we talk about Angel Heart. Well, uh, that's fine. I mean, you know, guys, these movies came out forever ago. Yeah. Well, did everything. Yes. Uh, he 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 killed them all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, so that, I guess those are the two our two tropes here, completely innocent. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the answer is for this one. No, uh, and I don't think they would want you to know. They might no. not know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I I'm uh, I I come like I said I watched this a couple of days ago, and my feeling is that he did not do it. Um, it's, yeah, I would I would put it on months, but but I think also part of us just wants to, yeah, yeah, <clears throat> and somehow and then so Barton, it's so great at the end because his film career has gone horribly. Mm-hmm. Long. Um, his writing career has gone wrong. His friend, his only friend in the world, is an insane serial killer mm-hmm. his daughter is dead and possibly he has her head in a box um, exactly we don't know that either which is another fabulous trick like most filmmakers would immediately tell you what's in the box oh, yeah, uh, and the other line i love is when john goodman says i lied it's not mine yeah. which is kind of you know that could be read a few different ways too mm-hmm. yeah and then there's that, <clears throat> oh yeah, we, we forgot to talk about the room. In the room, there's basically just a typewriter, a bed um, where he gets handcuffed to later and on. picture. And the picture is of, we're in Los Angeles, but we're nowhere near the ocean. We're in some horrible part of the city where there's We're like even, downtown LA, yeah. The breakers, we can't. Yeah. But to compensate for that, they've put this cheesy picture on the wall it looks like a postcard you would send somebody from a train but yeah it's a the back of a woman kind of using her hand like a visor to block out the sun as she looks at you know sparkling waves and uh the picture we finally see barton at the end go to the beach and sees a bathing beauty and he asks her and i love the phrase you know are you because he compliments how beautiful she is and are you in pictures? And she laughs like, don't be silly. But the word picture is, you know, has a double meaning there, which I love. Yeah. yeah. And, and then Barton, the camera pulls back and Barton's at the, the scene with her. And yes. From behind watching, just like he was at his desk. Yeah. Watching. And so again, we're left with this feeling. What? what yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a film that really really makes you think and enjoys multiple interpretations and multiple watches and yeah it's perfect for like an intro 101 film class or something where you you'd make your students you know you can say like movies are puzzles there isn't one answer but just like what do you think all of this means and you'd get 30 different papers back which is great also uh, i think we do i think we've done a little bit disservice it's also funny 
Uh, all the Cohen movies, even stuff like No Country, has a lot of humor in it. They can't help themselves. Yeah, they can't help themselves. I mean, this no. is a, such a dark story about writerly frustration, writer's block, and murder, and um, you know, your heroes and arrogance and all this yeah. stuff. They love repetition in in symbols and words and phrases and everything. Yeah, there's there's a rhythm to their stuff. You can tell they love screwball. Uh, they're of course from Minnesota where I'm from. So they love, um, you know, vernacular listening to how people really talk. Yeah. Every scene with the, is it Michael Lerner is the studio head? Yes. I was killing myself. Hilarious. Oh my God. He's absolutely hilarious. Uh, Every scene with Tony Shalhoub as the. Very, very funny. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. Uh, and there's so much comedy all the way through. You, you're right; they can't help themselves but be, no. but be funny. Um, so uh, that, so there's 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 the intellectual enjoyment of the film, and then there's the the story and the multiple readings, and then the jokes. Yes. Uh, so for me, it's pretty much a perfect film. I would give it a, a an A. Yeah. Uh, Film that they stop writing um, to write this Miller's Crossing. I also would give an A. Uh, That's actually my favorite. I would put uh, Miller's Crossing and No Country are my two favorites. I mean, mm-hmm. but Barton Fink is right up there, and Fargo's right up. I mean, there's so many. Yeah. Miller's Crossing. Did you have you had Megan Abbott to, on to talk about Miller's Crossing? Um, no, I had Blake Howard on for that, but I should have Megan on and we should do another episode because she, uh, interviewed them and yes, she's fabulous. Yeah. Uh, the DVD box. Yeah. Yeah. I was on, um, a Coen brothers podcast for Miller's Crossing, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. Wait, this is also an aside, but have you seen the Blu-ray of Miller's Crossing? Yeah, they changed. Um, so I keep both versions. I keep my original, the one from Fox, and then I did buy the, you know, because it's Criterion and it's Megan Abbott and I wanted the extras. Uh, but when I'm going to watch the movie, I watch the older one because I like the Jesus Tom, that line that they cut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the, in the, in the, um, in the warehouse when they. Yes. It, it's hilarious. Yes. A lot of the jokes. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess they thought they were being too flippant when they re-edited. Um, yeah, but oh, come on, Mike Starr is fabulous. I didn't realize he did his own singing in the woods. Somebody told uh, me that they they made a movie with Mike Starr and asked, and yeah, which and he got to choose his own aria. And it was like, wow, yeah, yeah he's excellent. And, yeah. and the Dane again. Okay, I was going to say, yes. Was such a scary villain, but then we we meet the Dane. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah. So, ah. so, the Dane. Oh my God! I mean, mm-hmm. no, no, nobody has any chance against that guy. He's no. So yes. So the Coens they make they make they make uh, most cross they make Barton Fink they make Hudsucker they make um, Fargo. Far- they make Big Lebowski there. They're batting 900. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there's like uh, falling off. And then we get some great films along the way. You know, one of your favorites, um, No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Uh, I'm not as convinced by that one as everybody else. I, I find, is it Shiger? Shiger? What's and that guy? Shiger. Yeah. I find him a little bit cartoonish. Uh, <laughs> but 
again, uh, you know, uh, if I was going to rate that, it's still a high B plus, maybe an A minus. Okay. I, they still yeah. think fantastic. That uh, maybe has one of the greatest sequences of all time in all the combat, which is the the dog chase bit. You know, when oh he's, my God, yes. That sequence where the bloody dog yes. is in the river. Holy. Oh, God. It's so tense. Have a yeah. heart attack, yeah. It, yeah. It, so many great. Or the through the motel, you know, with, I mean, there are a couple I scenes. Think, yeah. I think also one of my problems with that film, um, No Country, is, I mean, they, it's absolutely religiously copied from the book, is the, mm -hmm. the off-screen death. And uh, which is the, what they do in the book. Uh, I found it so frustrating and irritating. And and yeah. I'm, I read the book. Uh, in fact, I believe I reviewed the book. Um, and I, when the film comes out, it's they do it. They mm -hmm. they faithfully replicate the book. And I was going, oh my god, I I find this so annoying. Um, when Kelly McDonald, you wanted to? No, not Kelly McDonald. Oh. When um, our lead, James Bolin, is killed oh, off. Oh, the lead. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I actually love that. But I, no, I really, <laughs> You're the, like, no. Yeah. He's killed by the Mexicans off screen. Not even killed by um, Shigur. He's killed by. It's the, about fate a little bit and Carla. And yeah. <laughs> You're like, no, I, you don't do I, that as an author. Come on. Yeah. I, I find it very, very irritating. Uh, <laughs> one, of my favorite, one of my favorite authors is this guy, Patrick O'Brien, who wrote this series of sea stories. Uh -huh. uh, they made one of them as a film, good film, Master and Commander, uh, Far Side of the oh, World. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, and uh, Paul Bettany. And um, in, there's a lead villain in one of, in that, in that series of books, who's about, he's the villain for about four books. And he does the same thing. He kills him off screen between chapters and he just comes back and he says yeah um he's dead and then they're and i just go oh bro that's so <laughs> four books we've wanted this guy waiting for the final showdown with this guy and you killed him off screen oh, oh no <laughs> I, 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 that annoyed me um, oh, maybe that's I, why we didn't get the sequels i don't know yeah, but um, God, can you imagine? Can you believe they made six parts of the Caribbean films, but only Jesus. one? Yeah. <laughs> Paul Bettany. Uh, yeah. Uh, that film is Where's actually, the justice? Yes. Because that film is really good, I think. I know. It's Peter Weir. Yeah, of course. It's it's, it's really good. Uh, mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. No, it's and just then uh, we get to Inside Lewin Davis here with the Coens. Yes, which is another movie about creativity. And uh, they're from, of course, Minnesota, where I'm from, where Bob Dylan is from. So we have uh, the folk music stopping ground of Greenwich Village, New York City. So it's 1961, 62, yeah. something like that. It's before Bob Dylan has arrived. And mm -hmm. When he was like wandering around the University of Minnesota and stuff, yeah, yeah. he's he's walking over those bridges between St. Paul and Minneapolis. Yeah, yeah. Little coffee shops, and uh, yeah. <laughs> decided to go to New York City yet. Um, but he's written to Woody Guthrie, and uh, Woody yeah. Guthrie, said, you should come here, young man. And um, but he hasn't, not yet. 
Um, so the folk scene, folk scene is exploding, and all these people could be the next big thing. Um, mm-hmm. None of them are yet. And I guess what Lewin Davis has going for him, he um, he can sing beautifully. Yeah. Uh, um, he can play the guitar well. Um, but I guess what he doesn't have going for him is just that bit of genius um uh, that thing to take him to the next level that's something extra uh, yeah he doesn't have that and mm-hmm. um and there's that moment in the film where he goes to chicago um to see salieri what's that what's that what's that actor uh called oh uh is it f marie abraham yes he goes to f marie abraham and yeah. f gives him time and um, lets him do his thing, and is very patient. And uh, he, I guess, he's some top record producer guy, talent spotter guy, A um, and R man. And he lets Lewin Davis give him his best shot. And then again, uh, what I like about this is viewers were going, "This is the bit where the whole film changes," and Lewin Davis gets his career and does really well. But if Murray Abraham says no. I'm sorry, kid. You you just don't you just don't have it. Yeah, and uh, um, um, it's like Barton Fink. We're we're surprised um, because that's not the way the trajectory of these things normally work. No, um, like we've seen Water, we've seen um, the Johnny Cash movie. You know, we saw the Elvis movie, and usually there's that moment about a third of the way in or halfway in. Where they the A and R man hears them and the A and R man goes, "Oh my God, it's <laughs> discovering more. rock and roll." Yeah. yeah, you're the future, and um, and that's what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. But instead, what happens in in Lewin Davis is he says, "No, no, no, you 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 don't have it," and um, and we're really surprised. And I guess that's the be- for me that's one of the, the really good things about the movie mm-hmm. because, like Barton Fink, it's about a movie about people who don't make it the failures um you know nor we, we have so many of these ones about success mm-hmm. uh people who do really well but to get a film about a f- about the ones who don't quite make it it's super interesting and um it is and there's like uh choices he makes along the way bridges he's burned also, he's somebody that, that has just lost his partner in a suicide. And so there's a little trauma there. And um, there's a lot of stuff that isn't explained, kind of like with Barton Fink, where you have to sort of um, decide on your own. This is a movie where, um, again, kind of like Barton Fink, where the plot is secondary. It's sort of like character. Um and him sort of meandering. The Coens joked, that's why we added a cat, because we needed some kind of a plot, which is yeah. interesting. Yeah. Cat. yeah. Cat, cat named Ulysses. Come on. Yeah. Great cat. And uh, that scene, I love that whole scene with the cats on the subway. Yeah. Uh, looking at people and people looking at the cat. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. It's, it's really great. But, um, but uh, I mean, it's go- gorgeously shot. Very uh, much. Yeah. Clearly, they filmed it in New York and then changed everything to make it look like 1961. Like, um, like I, I, I'm a bit of a nerd for fonts, and uh-huh. um, which 
an odd thing to say. Um, but uh, the New York subway font is Helvetica. Yes. But it wasn't always Helvetica. And uh, and so they have each line had its own font in the in the old days, and so they have the correct. And I happen to know this because again I'm a font nerd. They happen to have the correct fonts for all the correct subway stuff. <laughs> it was a nice bit of research because obviously they had to take down all the signs. Yeah. Put up all the fake ones with all the old, and so that was real attention to detail. I thought. And so it's a completely convincing look at that era. And I guess Lewin Davis is an amalgam character of a couple of people. Yeah, it's supposed Dave, to be. Yeah. Dave Von Rock and, and some other people who, who are in that, in the folk scene. And then, um, and you know, he, he's, he's, he's not, I don't, I don't know. Who do you think is more likable as a character, Barton Fink or Lewin Davis? Cause they both have an edge true they're both uh i don't aggressively not people you'd want to spend more than 15 or 20 minutes with yeah because they're they're, they're, neither of them is particularly likable no Uh, um neither of them listens no Uh, um which again maybe why neither of them are good writers uh, yeah, I think uh, he is more combative by far. I mean, there's something about, you know, the musician and a little more vocal. And so maybe Barton is a hair more likable, but at the same time, this is somebody who missed clues about a serial killer. So yeah. you never know. Yes. But I mean, it, it, it's in, but also he's, he pays, or we should talk, talk about the plot. So he's trying to make it, not making it. Um, he goes to see the airman in Chicago. The airman says, kid, you're never going to make it. You're not, you don't quite have it. Um, he hooks up again, John Goodman playing a heroin addicted jazz man, which. Yes. Uh, <laughs> John Goodman's in a Coen Brothers film. You know, it's going to be okay. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know it's going to be fine. Um, if, if George Clooney's in it, Coen Brothers film, you know, it might not be all right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if but if John Goodman's in it, if John Goodman and John Stewart and Steve Buscemi are all in it together. Yeah. <laughs> you're fine, yes. You know, yeah. you're, you're in safe hands. As uh, long as you don't have, like, Tom Hanks doing a weird accent and it's not a, you know, thing like that. <laughs> like, we're not, the less said about the lady killers, the better, yeah. But, um, so, there's all that great stuff. And then there's the... Uh, one of the just most radio friendly YouTube friendly bits in the film when he mm-hmm. and he records the song about um, space, which uh, is so great. Yes. Great. I, I mean, I love all the musical performances. Oscar Isaac is phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, Carrie Mulligan is, I mean, she's, <laughs> yeah. Who knew she had, I mean, it's always funny. Like when I, when I see actors sing and I'm like, Oh, who knew? But at the same time, these people have control of their vocal instruments, so it shouldn't be terribly surprising, but you know, you have, I actually, I was never a, an in sync or a, a boy band person. So I always liked Justin Timberlake more as an actor than a singer, but you know, he's great in this and yeah. Again, with Adam the scene- driver. Yeah. We're talking about is Adam driver, Justin Timberlake and Oscar Isaac. In yes. a I thought it was a really good song. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm a loser, but I thought it was really funny. Uh, <laughs> I love um, it. Yeah. I loved it. I can uh, see why it was a hit in, yeah, in the movie. Yes. It's a good song about uh, 
Mr. Kennedy, Don't Send Me Into Space. I thought it was really, really funny. And Justin Timberlake has written it. And um, and Lewin Davis is. Yeah. And it's also a movie about timing. Like uh, he needs the money or he thinks he does because his uh, Carrie Mulligan is his pregnant uh, married lover. He could be the father. He doesn't know. So he's going to help pay for an abortion. And then like a woman who was in this predicament before decided to keep the baby and he already paid. So it's like, ah, you didn't need the money, but he signed away the rights for royalties on the song that becomes a hit. So it's a little bit of luck timing and just, it's kind of cyclical. So is he putting himself in the same messes again and again? Also a movie about like uh, the end of a partnership and it's getting close to the time that the Coens are deciding Maybe we need to go our separate ways, which I find interesting. Yeah, and they do. They within three or four, yeah, two or three films. Yeah, they split up as a, a partnership. Um, but it's also stupidity, I, I think, because yes, very much. Be a hit um, that song, but Mr. Ken <laughs> is obvious to everybody. Yeah, everyone. It's such a funny song. Um, it's so great. It's obviously going to be a novelty hit in 1962. Yeah. Um, the Beatles haven't arrived. Bob Dylan hasn't arrived. This is exactly the sort of thing that would go to number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, he, he he doesn't see that. In fact, he insults Justin Timberlake. He just goes, who wrote this shit? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I did. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, poor Lewin Davis, um, he, he, he wants to be an artist. He wants to be a writer, uh, but he just doesn't have, like Barton Fink, he doesn't understand the market. He doesn't listen, and he just doesn't have that next level of talent that can get him there. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I think the, the the films are quite similar that way um, because uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what the percentage is, but I wonder how many people – want to be writers but never ever finish their book yeah uh, and they finish their book but it never gets published or it gets published and then just goes into oblivion i mean it, that's got to be most people oh who, for sure it's got to be i'm not i couldn't figure out a percentage but that's got to be 90 percent I, I imagine or or even higher um and and so barton fink and um and lewin davis are actually representatives of most of us mm-hmm. but, um, bob dylan who appears at the end of the film we don't see him but we hear him um is very untypical but we're yeah. not we're not yeah. like no yeah he's completely something yes he's like out of space himself yeah that we're we're much more like Barton or or Lewis. Yes, that's Bob the Dylan. rest of us. Yes, Bob Dylan's like some weird mega uh, <laughs> once in a blue moon guy. Yeah, exactly. I, I remember um, hearing this crazy story once about um, um, oh, there was this there was this super group called the Traveling Wilburys in the 1990s. Oh yeah, with Petty and all of those guys. So it's like five of them. Tom Petty and like four other guys and uh, George Harrison and Roy Orbison. And there's another, and they said, let's do a super group because nobody's done a super group for a while. And then they all went off. They said, let's meet six months from now. um, (laughs) So they all meet up 
six months later and Tom Petty says, Oh guys, life got in the way. Uh, you know, I was on tour. I, I couldn't write any songs. And Roy Orbison said, Oh my God, I had such a crazy year. And I, I you know, I got one idea for a song and, uh, you know, uh, I can't remember who it, the Jeff Lynn because Mike says, Oh, I had an idea for a song. Blah, blah, blah. George Harrison says, well, I wrote a song. Blah, blah, blah. And they go, oh, thank you, George. And then Dylan comes in and then he goes, he says, well, did you write anything? And he says, well, I wrote 50 songs. <laughs> He'd written 50 songs specifically for the group and probably another 50 songs just for on himself. A- yeah. Cause we're not Bob Dylan. No. Uh, uh, you know, weird, weird, weird Lewin Davis and Barton Fink. Um, so we, we can't be too hard on those guys. No. Except for the killing bits, maybe. Yeah. The killing and some of the personality stuff. Yeah. And he does, he does for no reason. It's it's a non sequitur insult. He does. He's quite mean to that lady. Yes. Um, like for no no real reason. He no, just no, not at all. Um, just, um, lashes out at other people because of yeah the situation he finds himself in. Yeah. Here's a question. Um, five years after the end of the film, what is Lewin Davis doing, and what is Barton Fink doing? Oh my goodness. 66 New York. Lewin Davis is doing what? And 1946 um, uh, Los Angeles. Barton Fink is doing what? You know, I want to say Barton Fink eventually played the game. Mm-hmm. And um, he's either Tony Shalhoub or he's like, he's in one of those bungalows and he, he's just doing okay. Uh I don't think Lewin Davis is ever going to, he's going to be like a janitor, somebody who works at the bus station. He might still try to, you know, play. I don't think he's giving that up. Yeah. I I, I think you're absolutely right. I okay. think, I think it's, I completely, it's 1946 and Barton Fink has finally learned his lesson. Yeah. Uh, all the killings and everything have awoken him to yeah. maybe, they're listening to people exactly uh, in in trolley cars and in outside movie theaters and maybe you should start listening to people mm-hmm. and he started people and he started writing um a proper demotic a thing that people actually want to hear and he's he's a my he's not a huge talent he's not no, winning no he's work. a workman yeah the journeyman yeah. Yes, exactly. He's a journeyman screenwriter and he's making a living at it. I also think you're absolutely right. I think Lewin Davis is one of those guys who's, I don't know, maybe he's a school teacher because um, he's he's good smarts. Maybe he's a music teacher. And then at the end of the day, when like some of the older students get around, he's Bob Dylan's on the radio and he's all bitter and he just goes, oh, that guy. Yeah. yeah. I remember when he showed up in the scene and uh, I don't know what the difference, I don't know what he has that I don't have, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he still doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I could. I been, don't think he's ever going to learn. Yeah. He, he doesn't, he doesn't get why Justin Timberlake is going to be a pop hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, why Bob Dylan is going to be a, um, um, you know, an album sales and, yeah. you know, of the next generation coming through exactly and be the the bitter guy that says that could have been me <laughs> and this, his students are going no and couldn't have been you <laughs> the guitar not at all you can yeah. sing 
but you don't have the next level talent unfortunately it's just it's it, it's not you yeah exactly yeah so i don't I, I don't think so yeah you were gonna say something else there no i was just gonna say um but it's it, it was really interesting to and i think i would recommend this and it was really interesting to watch them together um because they do yeah they do actually play well um back to back like that i think it might have been better to watch um Louis davis first okay because uh, at least to me i just thought barton fink was uh, really another level mm-hmm. uh, in terms of just talent i just thought it, it's one of their best films uh, to me it's a top three uh mm-hmm. davis is it's 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 not it's not it's no lady killers um yeah it's, it's kind of in the middle yeah in the middle exactly mm-hmm. Um, that's an interesting thing you said about, um, and I hadn't thought of this about the partnership breaking up. And I wonder if that was, if that was going on in their mind. Um, you know, it's interesting. Like sometimes, um, you know, songwriters say that they don't realize they're going to break up with their boyfriend or girlfriend until after they write a song and then they sing it. And they're like, Oh wait, that's about so-and-so like Glenn Hansard talked about doing that sometimes. And yeah. So you never know. Yeah, you never know. I'm not, and that yeah. is that is quite interesting. Um, I hadn't thought of that, but um, so their last films would have been um, Lewin Davis and um, that what's that western that uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I know I was hit, that I find that a bit hit or miss. Um, yeah, some of it is just I love, and then other part, yeah. Tom Waits one is fantastic. Yes. Um, but some of the other stuff. Oh, and the, the Liam Neeson one, I really liked as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Liam Neeson is the terrifying. Yeah, uh, that's true. That's very good. But um, that would be a shame if that was their, that was the end of their, their partnership. Keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That the life of the mind comes back and they, they come together again. Yes. Because yeah. they've made so many iconic. Uh, another thing I was thinking about, you could you can certainly see Europeans making American style films, and you can see Americans making European style films, but there's a certain Americana that only Americans can make. Mm-hmm. Cohen Brothers have that. Um, I don't know a lot of people that can make Cohen's that are from here though, too. Like there's a great line, um, like Truffaut said about uh Jacques Tati, which is he he comes from a different planet where they make films differently there. And I feel like the Cohen's kind of are from that planet too yeah yes, that, that planet called minneapolis yes exactly but then, like their minneapolis yes but if it's producing the coen brothers and bob dylan i mean my god what's in that we all want to go yeah <laughs> exactly yes, exactly well adrian i want to thank you for muddling through your cold you're still brilliant my gosh so i don't know what kind of medications they gave you or what's in the tea but you sounded fabulous to me thank you so much um well thank you much thank you so much for having me i apologize for being uh late but uh, i think it don't was worry key, about it. i think it was key to uh to get some serious drugs uh, <laughs> Yeah, I hope you feel better soon. But thank you. If um, I think I'm on the, I think I'm on the downward slope of it. Okay, so. good. We'll keep our fingers crossed. All good. Yes. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and maybe watch some Baby Boom and then write something like Barton Fink. Yeah. Yes, or any Dan Keaton film. Exactly. Yeah. Can't go wrong.
I also want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research, equipment, film rentals, RSS fees, and more for as little as a dollar per month at the Film Intuition Patreon, which is the home base for the show. Other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts, and also checking out the cool merch store hosted and created by our talented logo designer, Kate Gabrielle. You can find the merchandise store, including shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more by visiting filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link. The show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by Jason Shaw and is available in the free music archive. You can also reach me or interact with Watch With Jen anytime on Twitter, either at Film Intuition or our Watch With Jen account as well. Well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.